Hey, welcome to the podcast for Scottsdale Baptist Church. We hope this message helps you discern what is true, what is right, and what is good. Also, we pray that it acts as an encouragement to you today. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning and welcome to Scottsdale Baptist Church. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's a delight to gather with you this morning, whether you're here with us uh, live or whether you're watching us online or if you're joining us in the Cross Point Center, it's such a great opportunity for us to gather and worship with you as we join God in his work of transforming lives. Now this morning, uh, Pastor Phil has a, uh, the privilege of preaching at Oak Valley Church. Now for those of you who are new with us and might not know what Oak Valley Church is, a little over two years ago, we sent out a group, we commissioned a group of believers uh, to go and plant a church in Ogden. And so today, uh, they are celebrating what God has done as he has continued to transform lives in Ogden. And Pastor Phil has the distinct privilege of being able to preach there today to encourage them, uh, to be uh, just a a voice of encouragement for them as they continue to join God in his work of transforming lives. So we just get a moment to praise the Lord for what he's done there. Um, And then we're going to pray for him in just a minute. So. So let's take a moment now. We're going to pray for Oak Valley and uh, for God to continue doing a great work there. Would you join me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for Oak Valley. We thank you for those who, uh, in your kindness and in your providence, you chose to to send out from from this body uh, to reach the Ogden community. And Lord, I thank you for the work that you've done there. I thank you for uh, those whose lives have been impacted by the gospel. I thank you for the faithfulness of the members of Oak Valley. And Lord, I pray today, Uh, that you would continue to strengthen them, that you would continue to give them the the resolve to follow you faithfully. We pray for a great spiritual fruit to be born in their lives, in the lives of those that they minister to. I pray for their pastors. I pray for Pastor Jimmy and for uh, for Booney and for Adam, uh, that you would continue to strengthen them uh, to continue the work of the ministry there at Oak Valley. We praise you for them today and look forward to all that you will accomplish through them. In Christ's name we pray, amen. It was the first day of training camp. The year was 1961, and uh, the Green Bay Packers had gathered for the first day of training camp. Now, they were excited about the new year because the year before had ended in disappointment. You see, they had made it all the way to the NFL championship game only to lose to the Philadelphia Eagles. So they gathered there with expectation and excitement, 38 Football players thinking of all the new strategies, all the new plays, all the things that they were going to accomplish because of this new year. Vince Lombardi, the coach of the Packers, stood in their midst. And while they were looking for for a great speech from this great coach, he simply took a football. He stood in the midst of them and he said, gentlemen, this is a football to their surprise, they, they thought, man, we're in the NFL. We know that that's a football. We know what it is that you've got in your hands. And over the course of that training camp, Lombardi continued in the same manner. He helped the receivers learn how to run routes and catch balls. He helped them learn the basic fundamentals of tackling all over again. He helped them learn how to run, how to throw, and ultimately how to think about Football, that 1961 Packers team thought that the key to winning the championship was found in new plays, was found in new strategies, but their coach knew 
that they really needed to go back to the fundamentals. Now, surely we can build on the fundamentals, but we must never forsake them. And he took this message to his team. That year, the Packers, as you may know, went on to win the NFL championship, and Vince Lombardi became one of the greatest coaches in all of history, and the Packers have become one of the most legendary franchises in all of history. And you say, well, that's a good story about football. I know that college football playoffs are going to be ending tomorrow night. We're in the NFL playoff season. But what does that have to do with today? Like, Why would you share that story today? Now, I know we're only in the second week of January, but I'd be willing to bet that some of you here today, some of you watching online, some of you are in the Cross Point Center, if not most of you, are already exhausted. You're already defeated. You're already discouraged. And it's only the second week of January. The newness of 2021 has been overshadowed by the reality that though this is a different year, the same challenges you faced in 2020 are staring right back at you. The things that you hope to be done with are still present in your life. And you wonder, is there any hope for joy in the midst of this? Is there any joy that I can actually experience today or any day? Not only has 2021 not brought the change that maybe you hoped for in the political arena, it's more disunified and hateful as it was before. That resolution that you made for fitness, you were going to run and you were going to work out. Life, and if you're honest, muscle soreness has crept in and has knocked you off track. The desire for family growth that you had and your relationships in your family, those high expectations you had were short-circuited with the first fight of the new year and spiritual goals. And you had really high hopes this year. You were gonna read the Bible in 60 days all the way through. You were gonna pray for five hours a day. You had a whole list of every neighbor that you were gonna share the gospel with. And today, it was a struggle to get out of bed and come to church this morning. It's a struggle for you to even be in your living room. And you're saying, it was a, a lot for me just to turn on the TV and gather corporately with the people of God. And if you're honest, it may be the first day since January the 3rd that you've even opened your Bible. You've tried the new things. You've tried the better things. And today, as we've gathered, I just want to direct our attention back to the fundamental things. The things that Jesus tells us, the places where Jesus tells us we can actually find joy. So today, if you would, open with me in your Bibles to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. I think Jesus is going to give us some fundamental truths as to how we can have joy in such a challenging world. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. 
If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Now, before we dive into this text together this morning, I just wanna set a context for us about what Jesus is doing here. You see, John chapter 15, most scholars refer to as Jesus's or part of Jesus's farewell discourse. Now, what is a farewell discourse? This is the portion of scripture right before Jesus's death resurrection and ascension. So if you think of Jesus's life, this discourse comes right around the bend from where his death is about to occur. And these disciples that he has been investing in for several years, even though they've been promised in a chapter before that the Holy Spirit's coming, they're, they're confused. And Jesus talks about going away and they get really antsy and anxious and fearful. They don't know where he's going. They say, we don't know where you're going, Jesus. Where, where, how do we find you? Jesus said, I'm going to send the Spirit, but they're confused. They're perplexed about what is going on, and they're concerned about what the next days are going to hold. So in this series of messages, these farewell messages, Jesus is going to comfort his disciples. He's going to instruct them. He's going to warn them, and he's going to encourage them as to what life is going to look like after his departure. And today I believe in this passage, God has given us at least three fundamental truths that will help us and lead us to experience the fullness of Christ's joy, even in the midst of a world that seems to be chaotic and full of disarray. The first fundamental thing we see in this passage is this, to have true joy, we must be connected to the true vine. We must be connected to the true vine. Now, for many of us, whenever we think about vines, we think about yard work, don't we? And you think about going out and, and cutting the vines in your yard, have a particular disdain for a particular vine that grows in this part of the country. And that vine is poison ivy. How many of you guys hate poison ivy? Yeah, poison ivy and me are arch enemies. Man, I'm so allergic to it. And I just like even just standing here talking to you guys about it, I'm getting a little itchy because it just wrecks me. But for the, for the people of Israel, they don't think about vines like that. They don't think about it in terms of, of frustration. They think about it in terms of their livelihood. Their economy is based on growing and producing fruit, particularly grapes. Uh, and so that they're, they're everywhere. Vineyards and plantations are everywhere as it relates to grapes. Not only is it related to their economic well-being and their, and their way of living, it's really connected to their religious life as well. You see, in the Old Testament, Israel is talked about as a vine. We see this in Psalm chapter 80. This is where the psalmist writes, you brought out a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. However, whenever we see this in the Old Testament, oftentimes the vine is not talked about in glowing terms. 
in, in, uh, in Jeremiah chapter 2, we see it dealing with the unfaithfulness of Israel. Yet I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? He says, Jesus is preparing for his departure. And he's, he's talking to his disciples. There's a possibility that they would turn back to Judaism, that they would turn back to the religious life and the customs that they knew before Jesus came on the scene, before Jesus shared with them the word. There's a possibility that they would go back to that system of religion, that wild vine, that vine that did not produce life or fruit or joy. Jesus says as much in John chapter 16. He said, I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. So as he's preparing them for his departure, he wants to make sure they understand that true joy is only found in staying connected to me, the true vine. This is where life is experienced. Now for us here today in, in, uh, in Western America, you might say, you know what? No fear of Judaism here. Check, I'm good, Jesus. We're all on the right track here. I'm not gonna get caught up in Judaism and going back to a system of works. But as we think about it, might not be a system of religion for us, but our hearts, and we look for something to connect to, don't we? We look for some wild vine hoping for joy, hoping for life, hoping for security, hoping for fulfillment, hoping to produce some kind of fruit. Is Jesus sharing with them? He's sharing with us. That just like the disciples, we can be tempted to forsake the true vine. We can be tempted to connect our lives to something that does not fulfill us, that does not bring joy. Take, for example, the vine of success. The vine of success says, in order for me to be fulfilled and to experience joy, I must achieve a certain status. And if I don't get to that status, my life is unfulfilled. My life is pointless. There is no hope for me. My effort in life is focused on being the best, being the top, being the one that everybody looks to for guidance. If I could only be promoted to the manager, if I could only be the CEO, if only I could be one level above where I am, I'd be satisfied. Or take, for example, the vine of politics. You've attached your Self to the belief that true security, true fulfillment is found in who occupies the White House, the Senate, and the House of Representatives. If my party's there, then I'm going to be fulfilled. If I'm, if I'm the one whose party won the popular vote, then I can be secure. My hopes and dreams will be fulfilled if only that person, if only those people are in power. What about the vine of money? When I have enough, I'll be happy. When I have enough, I'm gonna be satisfied. You spend your days and your nights thinking about money. How do I get more of it? I don't have enough of it. Who else has got some? We're looking around and wondering who's got what. You're driven. Sometimes, often, maybe, at the expense of your family and your friendships to pursue more and more 
and more. The list could go on. Literally anything that we can think of, we could attach our lives to and make that the thing that we think is going to bring us joy. I'm reminded as we look around the landscape of our culture, consider those over the last several years who from the outside seem successful. If you looked at your life, you would say, man, they have it all. Only to find out in a news cycle that they really realized they didn't have anything. Even to the point sometimes of taking their own lives. We look at what's happened over the past several weeks with the hatred, with the vitriol that has been promoted, that has been expressed by those who have attached themselves to particular political parties, even to the, the point of attacking people that don't agree with them. Maybe if it's not physical, it can certainly be with words or with accusations. We see this on a regular basis. Now, for, for some of you, that characterizes your whole life. You'd say, yep, I'm all in on one area, one vine. I'm connected to it. I'm all in. You'd say, I'm not a believer in the Lord Jesus. I'm not connected with him at all. You live your life for yourself or for some other pursuit in this world. And Jesus says to you today, that vine will never satisfy you. That vine will never produce the joy that you're hoping that it's going to produce. It's going to take and it's going to take and it's going to take with the illusion of fulfillment, with the illusion of satisfaction. And in the end, there will only be loss. There will not be gain. There will only be loss. Jesus says, if you attach yourselves to these vines, if you go that way, you will find yourself enslaved to the master of more. He says, I need more to be satisfied. I need more to be fulfilled. And Jesus says, there will never be enough in those vines to fulfill you. You'll be riding a constant roller coaster of, have I done enough? Am I good enough? Am I powerful enough? Only to find at the end of the day, there was actually no possibility for you to find joy in any of those avenues. To you today, Jesus says, I'm the true vine. He says, come to me. I'm the only place where you can find joy because you were created to find your satisfaction in me alone. You were created to find your life in me and nowhere else. And he invites you today to turn from seeking satisfaction in those other places, to put your hope and your trust and your confidence in his finished work on the cross. Today, some of you feel this way. You're a believer in the Lord Jesus and you feel discouraged. You feel shaken. You feel joyless. Maybe it's time for you to do a quick vine check. Maybe it's time for you to say, where am I focusing my time and my energy and my effort? Am I focusing it on the world or am I focusing it on the things of Christ? Now, it may have been a subtle shift for you. You might not have woken up today and thought, man, I'm really just gonna be angry about something. But it might have been in, might have begun with a, just a quick check on Facebook or, or Twitter. And now you are caught up on an endless cycle of what's going on in the news? Who's done the right thing today? Who's done the wrong thing today? And you find yourself in constant arguments with people about things that have no eternal value. 
College students, maybe today you are so caught up in your career and what's gonna happen next, you think about that internship. If I can just get the right internship, if I can just get the right recommendation, then my life is going to be secure. Jesus says that vine won't ever satisfy you. It won't ever produce what you want it to produce. Students, how much time do you spend watching, researching, and seeking to imitate your, your most favorite social media influencer? Maybe another question for you is this. What links are you willing to go to in order to fit in with the crowd? Jesus says that vine won't satisfy. Jesus says that vine won't produce the fruit that you're hoping for it to produce. If you're in a group, I wanna encourage you as you gather together, one of our small groups, I've got a, a question that I want you guys to take some time to think about. What vines are you tempted to attach your life to for security, for joy and fulfillment rather than Christ, the true vine? What are some of those vines that you are tempted to attach yourself to? Some of those things that you're looking for joy and satisfaction in, maybe you're finding them wanting and you're saying, I've, I've distanced myself from the true vine. God's calling you to return. So the first fundamental truth we see is, is that we must connect it to the true vine, but Jesus doesn't stop there. Jesus also helps us to understand that joy can be found in actively abiding in the vine. So we must be connected to the vine, but we must actively abide in the vine. Notice what Jesus says in verse four. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. While Jesus helps us to see that joy is not found in new and improved methods for our lives, in cultivating an ongoing and deepening devotion to him. Jesus commands his disciples to abide in him. This is a command, abide in me. So for most of us, as we look at that, we say, well, what, what does that mean? If it's a command, then I want to obey it. So what does it mean to abide in Jesus? In short, it means to cultivate a close and deepening relationship with Christ. To cultivate, there's work involved, a close and deepening relationship with Christ. Abide is a, a word that really has to do with remaining close. Jesus says, stay close to me, stay connected to me, pursue me, hang on to me, take hold of me and hold on tightly. Don't think that you can make this on your own because he says, without me, you can do nothing. Consider again the metaphor of branches and vines. A branch has no support, no strength, no sustenance if it is disconnected from the vine. Jesus says in verse six, in way of a warning, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Now, we're talking about connected to the vine. We're talking about abiding in the vine and you see these two things connected. And you're saying, well, G Jeff, well, are you saying that it's possible for somebody that was a Christian to not be a Christian? Well, no, that's not what I'm saying. And that's not what Jesus is saying. And that's not what John is saying. There are a plethora, if you go through John's gospel of time and time again, where John says, and Jesus says, all that the Father has given me, I will lose none. There's no one that can take, me out of the, take you out of my hand and no one can take you out of the Father's hands. But what Jesus is helping us to see 
is that there is a kind of connection with Jesus that is not a saving one. It's one that is based on using Jesus rather than treasuring Jesus. There's a way in which people uh, experience Christ wherein they find that Jesus is a good attachment to their life, but they don't want him to rule their life. They don't want him to be the one that gives them direction, that, that colors their decisions, that is the Lord. We see this only a few chapters before in the life of Judas Iscariot. He was connected to Jesus for three years. He did ministry with Jesus, and yet we see that in the end, he betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. He wasn't connected to him in a way that treasured him. It was only for Judas's benefit. What could he get out of this relationship? We see the same in 1 John chapter 2. Jesus says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they, are, they all are not of us. You see, whereas abiding means to keep close fellowship with Christ so that he can work through us, so that there's fruit that is produced, so that there's proving that we are his disciples. This kind of relationship is just built on attaching Jesus to us. He's a good idea. He's a helpful sidekick. He helps me get the things that I want in life rather than finding our life in him completely. I want to get really practical for you with, with us for just a few moments about what it looks like to abide in Christ. What does it look like for us to abide in Christ? Because I believe the closer we stay to Christ, the more fruit we will bear. That's what Jesus says. And the further we distance ourselves or if we wander from the center, if we neglect the means that God has given us, we will not produce as much fruit. So here's three things today that you can begin to build into your life to cultivate this deepening relationship with Christ. First is this, his word. We take time in his word. Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. God has given us his word. This sounds very simple and elementary and fundamental. The way that we grow is by studying and reading the word of God. It's a regular intake of his word to us. Now, does that mean that to grow and to abide in Christ, you're expected to spend hours and hours and hours and hours every single day reading the Bible? Well, for some of us, that might be the reality. For some of us, that might be how we continue to grow. But for most of us, that might not be the regular routine and rhythm of our lives. But there's one thing, one primary thing that Jesus calls us to in this, and it is this, be consistent. Be consistent with reading the word of God. There's simply no replacement. There's no substitute. There's no quick fix. There's no 30-day plan that gets you completely abiding in Christ. It is an ongoing cultivation. It is an ongoing focus. And I, friends, I promise you, I promise you, you start spending time in the Word of God. If it's five minutes a day, if it's 10 minutes a day, if it's 15 minutes a day, day after day, building that habit into your life, week after week, month after month, year after year, you will be astonished at how much God transforms your thinking, how much he transforms your desires and your direction in life. As I think about this, I'm, I'm reminded that it's not about how much we accomplish. It's about the motivation of our heart. If you wanna go to the word to check a box and say, look, I did it. I did it today. 
I check the box of reading the Bible, you're still gonna come up joyless. If you go to it to say, man, I wanna be able to tell my small group how much time I spent in the word. I want everybody to look at me and say, man, that guy is super spiritual. You know how much time he reads the Bible? You know how much he's memorized? Man, I could never do that. You're still gonna find yourself joyless. That's your goal. But if your goal is to go to the word to know Christ, to learn more about him, for him to change and transform you. If your motivation is what Jesus says his motivation for us is, and that is our joy, then you'll find it in the word. If you go there to find joy, God will give you joy. He's revealed himself to us in his word. And as you open your Bibles every day, you might just start with a prayer. Something like Psalm 119. Open my eyes that I behold the wondrous things out of your law. The things that are wondrous are in the word of God. Take time daily to spend time meditating on his word. What is God saying to me through this? What is God saying about himself in this passage? The second means is is prayer. Jesus says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, I don't know if you noticed this, but verse seven, there's a link there with our praying and are abiding in the word. It's no accident. Jesus didn't just come up with this on the fly and say, huh, that's a pretty good idea. No, Jesus knows that for our prayers to be all that God desires them to be, they must be filtered through the word of God. They need to be, they need to be full of God's word. So as we abide in the word, God transforms our thinking. As he transforms our thinking, he transforms our perspective about the world. As we look out across the world, we begin to see things from God's perspective. We begin to see the things that God desires to see accomplished, maybe even more over against the things that we want to see accomplished. We begin to pray for God to work in a way that is going to be for his glory and for the good of those around us. I love how one commentator addresses this issue. He says, praying ceases to be selfish, asking, and becomes aligned with the will and purposes of God in Christ. Whenever our prayers are focused and driven by the word of God. Now, does this mean that we shouldn't pray for things that we desire to see come to pass? No. It means that when we pray, our desires for those things are going to become more aligned with God's desires. Maybe in that relationship that you're thinking, man, I just wish that other person would change. I just wish God would do something great in their lives and they would change. Maybe your prayer becomes, God, I pray that you would change them, but God, I pray that you would help me to be faithful in ministering to them. God, I pray that you would help me be faithful in encouraging them. Maybe it's that person that you're in conflict with and you just don't ever wanna talk to them or you're angry and you find your words about them being harsh and critical. I found the more that I pray for people that I'm in a disagreement with, the harder it is for me to be angry with them. Have anybody ever noticed that? The more I pray for somebody, the harder it is for me to be angry with them because I'm taking them before God on a regular basis, asking God to work in their lives. And as I pray for them to work in their lives, God does a work in mine. I would encourage you to spend time, even if again, it's a few minutes a day, praying for God to accomplish his work. The third means God uses is community. Now, as we read this passage, we recognize he's not just speaking to one disciple, but he's speaking to The disciples, oftentimes in our walk with Christ, we see it as just us and Jesus. It's just me and Jesus. 
And as long as I can stay close with Jesus by myself, then I am good. But we see something quite different in the pages of the New Testament, don't we? We see believers encouraging one another. We see believers confessing sin to one another. We see believers bearing each other's burdens together, praying with and for one another. In many ways, helping each other be guarded against falling away or becoming unfruitful. I read a story about a man who joined a local church, but he chose never to attend corporate worship. One day he showed up at a church picnic and the pastor noticed and said, oh, that guy hasn't been here in a while. Went over and spoke to him. He said, hey, brother, I haven't seen you gathering with us for worship in quite some time. What, anything particular that we need to know about? The man said, no, I've just found that I can have a relationship with Christ without the church. I can just do it on my own. I can grow, uh, I can grow in my relationship with Christ, but I don't need the regular gathering of people to hear the word and to sing together. They were standing close to a grill and they continued their conversation and discreetly the pastor took one of the coals that was in the, in the, in the pile and he moved it away from, from the pile. And they continued to talk and continued to talk for a few moments and he directed the attention of the man to the coal and he said, sir, I want you to notice what happened to this coal whenever I removed it from, from the pile. Whereas before it was radiating with heat and with warmth and it was doing what God had, well, God and the coal, the, God made this to do. Now it's cold. It's really almost worthless because it's not doing what it was made to do. See, oftentimes for us, we think it can just be me and Jesus and we're like that coal when we disconnect ourselves from his body. We disconnect ourselves from the community of believers We find ourselves cold. We find ourselves being unfruitful. And yet God's intention for us as his people are to be the kind of people that help each other stay warm, help each other stay afire with the word and the work of God in this world. I encourage you, natural environment for this, small groups, corporate worship. For those of you who are not in a group, I would just ask you one question. Why? Why aren't you in the midst of a life-giving environment? One that encourages you, one that holds you accountable, one that helps you abide in Christ through the word, through prayer, through faithfully building each other up. The last thing we see in this passage is that we are to abound in fruitful living. Another way for joy, abound in fruitful living. Jesus says, verse five, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. As we think about this, as we think about abiding, we recognize that's our personal devotion to the Lord. But oftentimes we stop there. We say, okay, I'm personally devoted. Maybe I'm doing all the things. But we disconnect it even from what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the obedient Christian life obeying the word that we have received. We see this in verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. First John says it this way. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he 
walked. Jesus' concern is with our lives bearing witness to the fact that we are connected to him. And if Jesus' life, if his life is bound up in obedience to the Father, that's what he calls us to do. You see, Jesus obeyed perfectly, and that is the only reason that we can have life. Had Jesus not obeyed fully, we would be hopeless. It is in his active obedience that he is able to bear the sin of the world. He fulfilled the law perfectly. He was obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, as Paul writes in Philippians, as a substitute for sinners. God's desire for each and every one of his children, those who would claim the name of Christ, is that they look more and more like Jesus every day, that their life is more and more conformed to the image and actions of the Lord himself. We see this in a couple of ways, but the first way we see it is in relation to our character. God changes our character. We see this in Galatians chapter five when he talks about the fruit of the spirit. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And as God changes our character, as we, as we see love as a great trait, as a great, a great principle that we are to be obedient to, God changes that in us. It also reflects in our conduct, in the things that we do. We see this in Ephesians chapter four. Paul says we are to put off our old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. These are areas that God calls us to obey in, to put off the old self, to put on the new self. Where we walked in bitterness, now we are called to walk in forgiveness. Where we, where we walked in laziness, now we are called to work, walk in diligence. When we were used to walk in gossip, now we are to be part of truth-telling and accountability. These things are what God works in us as it relates to personal growth, but God also calls us to invest in others. Notice what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 28. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus calls us not only to personally obey in interpersonal relationships, he calls us to obey in taking the gospel to those who haven't heard. He calls us to live on mission, to be about discipling others and investing our lives in them, to see them abide as well. Remember, Jesus says all these things. He says all these things for a purpose. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. It's not just a pie in the sky idea. He has an intention that as we abide in him, as we are connected to him, as we take time to invest in the personal spiritual disciplines and invest in others through gospel conversations, through discipling relationships, that's where joy is found. That's where joy is full. He knows 
that our joy can only be found as we abound with fruit in our lives. We can only abound with fruit in our lives as we abide in him. We can only abide in him if we're connected to him. The true vine. If we want joy, Jesus says it's not a new program. It's not a new set of plays. It's the fundamental faith. He says it's simply biblical Christianity. It's what he calls each and every believer to. Connect to me, abide in me, and be obedient. Today, if you aren't connected to Christ by faith, if you've never trusted him for salvation, for the forgiveness of your sins, for all the times you attach yourselves to other vines, attempted to find satisfaction in something other than him, Jesus says, come to me. He says, come to me and connect to me. I'll give you life. Not only will I give you life, I'll give you abundant life. I'll give you eternal life. I'll give you enduring life. If you're connected to the vine and you find yourself wandering, you find yourself joyless, Jesus says you can repent. He says you can turn back to me. He says you can abide in me. If you need someone to talk with you about getting connected in a group or you can develop community, you can go to our Next Steps page. You can talk to me. You can go to our Connections desk, and we'd love to be able to help you with that. Today, Christ calls us to find joy this year, to find joy next year, to find joy any year. We must abide in him. We must find our joy in him. We must find our satisfaction in him, the true vine. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the simplicity of your word. You don't tell us we have to be involved in some kind of crazy program to grow in you. You make it very simple for us. We often overcomplicate it. You say it's very simple. Connect to me. Abide in me. Obey my word. And you'll find joy. Father, I pray that we would believe you. I pray that we would trust you and know that in your wisdom, that's what you've told us to do and that we would obey. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Scotts Hill Podcast and thank you also to those who continue to give with generosity. If you're new to this podcast and want to learn more about Jesus or our church, go to scottshill.org slash next steps for more information. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe to get notifications of future episodes. You can also share it with your friends via text message or take a screenshot and post it onto your social media stories. Whatever you want to do, just make sure to tag us at Scott's Hill. Until next time.